The uh, scripture reading today is from Philippians 3, verses 13 through 15, if you'd like to turn to that. That's Philippians 3, verses 13 to 15. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen. Our pastor now is going to wish us a Happy New Year. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay, I don't need that one. I've got one over here. How do you celebrate New Year? What did you do this year? Well, I got up and watched the Rose Parade. (laughs) And uh, remember, there were several things, and this is one of them. I remember in the 1960s, early in the, well, in the mid-60s, when I went down to the Rose Parade for the first time, spent the night on the uh, sidewalks. It was cold. We had a bunch of college kids, friends of ours that went down there, and I met my, well, she was down there as well, my wife-to-be, and that was my first experience with the Rose Parade and New Year's celebrated this way in America. This year is a picture of the Pasadena Rose Parade, the Queen's Court, I guess it is, and it was a very nice uh, Rose Parade, uh, enjoyed. A lot of people enjoy doing these things. I'm talking about how to celebrate New Year's. long time ago, when my wife and I went to Hawaii, uh, should I tell you the story or not? We should, huh? Well, uh, here we are sitting with Diamond Head right behind us there. And we just had two. Our third hadn't arrived. We left Hawaii to get the third. We had to come back to the United States to get her. But uh, there I am, a few pounds lighter. And uh, my, there's more hair on my head, too. Anyway, um, I wanted at PUC, before I got the call to go to Hawaii, there was a, a note put up on the wall that the president of the Hawaiian mission was going to come and interview any you know, gradu- students that were graduating you know, as a possibility of maybe going to Hawaii. So my ex, my fiancé and I, we signed up, and we waited and waited, and others were ahead of us. And when we finally got... I haven't told you the story? It was time for the evening meeting down... I mean, the big social event at the gymnasium. By the time he was inter, had interviewed everybody else, no time left for us. And I thought, well, I guess I'm not going to Hawaii. And so we walked from Irwin Hall down to the gymnasium, he didn't talk to me at once, at all, Elder Strifling. He talked to my wife the entire time. I thought, I'm not going to Hawaii. I got the call because he knew my wife's mother. That's how that works, folks. <laughs> and I was the envy of a lot of students that year when I got the call to go to Hawaii, thanks to my wife. Um, I remember some uh, incidences when we were in Hawaii. It was quite an event. Uh, Nowadays, they've outlawed and banned a lot of the fireworks that they used to have. But I remember going to the stores in the late 60s, and you would see probably two carts 
and these were some of them were flat carts stacked up six feet high, people taking uh, going out with fireworks, and they were going to blow all those things up that night. You know, and I, I I had a hard time comprehending that. We went to a party New Year's Eve. By the time we got home, it was sometime after midnight, and all of the streets were red with paper, just the fireworks paper. They had blown off so much. I mean, it was thick like a carpet everywhere. And I'd never seen anything like it. When it got to be New Year's, you know, when it went to, you know, that magic moment, there was just one loud bomb, you know, bang, boom, that just went on for the longest time. And if that wasn't loud enough, some of them lit them in, in trash cans, you know, so that it would reverberate more. That's the way they did in Hawaii. So how do you celebrate New Year's. Well, I remember the year 2000 um, when we welcomed a new millennium, and, and that was pretty spectacular. Do you remember that, going through that? A lot of excitement taking place when that happens. And we watched all around the world, you know, is it New Year's in Sydney, Australia, and then it came all the way around, and the, we followed it all, and TV was showing on and on, but it was an exciting time in the new millennium, the year 2000. Well, uh, did you hear this story? It happened just recently. I heard about it up at workers' meeting. You probably have heard about it. About uh, Timothy Henry Gray, 60 years old. He uh, was under a bridge or a railroad trestle in, um, where was it? Evanston, Wyoming. And he froze to death. He just froze to death. He had an uncashed check of considerable amount of money in his pocket in his wallet, and he didn't know it, but a relative of his had died 18 months earlier, $300 million dispensed among the relatives, his share, $19 million. He died, frozen, underneath a railroad trellis. Wow. It just goes to show us sometimes, you know, we can be not anywhere aware at all of what is really ours. And yet, that's the case of him. The one that had the money was the heiress of the, um, the great copper um, fortune of Huguette Clark. She was a recluse not seen in public for 50 years. because Probably it was because she had severe cancer and it was on her face. And so 50 years alone, and then after that 50 years, she required such medical care, she spent you know, from 1980s until her death in May of 2001. 11, excuse me, 2011. She hadn't been seen in all that amount of time. $300 million. Here is a picture of her when she was younger with her uh, senator and, and copper magnet dad. And here, a little later on, what she looked like a little later on. This is a, a beach estate that the family owned. She hadn't been there in 50 years. Where is this at? In California, the beach in California, Southern California. He died penniless. Yet he had a check in his pocket. This is a couple of floors of this hotel here she owned. And she lived in them when she was younger. It was just kind of a tragedy to me. You know, it's what a sad story is, is that many times, you know, we, we, we are so close to something that we don't even know how wonderful it is. You know, it's amazing. So how do you celebrate the beginnings of a new year? 
That's what I'm going to be talking about, and I'll try to move through this because our time slips away already. Uh, some of us make resolutions, eat healthy, yes, exercise regularly, well, uh, drink less, well, I'm going to drink more, but I'm not drinking that kind of stuff anyway. Uh, learn something new, always, I'm trying to do that. Quit smoking, I have already stopped, I don't, I've never done that, so why would I quit? Uh, better work and life balance, get a balance between work and life. Volunteer in something, you know, these are common things that people put on their resolutions. Save money, almost everybody puts that down. At least the ones that I know. Get organized. Most people put that. Read more. And to get those to-do lists done, that's never possible. But uh, we put that on the list. Did you know the Bible had something to say about New Year's? Indirectly. At Passover, Pentecost, Day of Atonement, these were great ceremonies that the children of Israel celebrated, as well as the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated the freedom of past sins from the Day of Atonement and looked forward to the celebration of newfound liberty at Passover. And so the, the New Year Day, New Year, was I've been freed of my past and I'm looking forward to wonderful liberties ahead for the New Year. Well, they had kind of like what we have, New Year. Well, how do Seventh-day Adventists celebrate New Year? Well, we called all the workers to workers meetings up at Leone Meadows. <laughs> and the conference uh, gave us something. Strategic plan. <laughs> uh, 2012 to 2016, for the last year and a half, our conference administrators uh, have been working over a mission plan, an activity, strategic plan. And I know that we've tried to do these things in the past, but this sounds like it's going to go somewhere. Uh, that we're going to actually do something. And I'm going to talk about it. The Northern California Conference is a network of churches, schools, and ministries dedicated to transforming people through good news of Jesus Christ and preparing them for a soon return. All of us can say amen to that. That's what our mission is right there. It's saying it as clear, succinctly as we can. Our vision is to be among the most productive, and you have to say that in your vision statement, something like that. You want to be successful at it. Effective, spiritually dynamic conferences in the division. Developing skilled spiritual leaders, fostering healthy, growing churches and ministries, and operating schools of excellence and caring for our communities. That's great, isn't it? And so all the energy of the conference is being put towards this direction. Uh, motto in the past is, nothing matters but the kingdom. That's been our motto for years and years and years. And they found out, well, where does that take us? Now that we're saying, doing what matters for the kingdom. So that's the motto. And here are the core values. We're Bible-based. We're inclusive. Everybody comes in. Uh, we're not exclusive. We're grace-oriented. We don't do it unless it comes from grace, because grace is where the power is at and the change. It has to be relevant, authentic. I'm glad they put those two words in, because religion sometimes can be not that. And collaborative, it means we work together to make it happen. And empowering, that's pretty good, isn't it? Those are our values. And now here are one, is one of eight uh, points that they're making as part of what their strategic plan is all about. The core message is to understand and communicate the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we going to do that? Develop an understanding of that we are saved by God's grace alone. Provide training for members to share that good news. And identify effective models for spiritual growth. So that's what is at the core of everything we're trying to do, to communicate the gospel. The three angels' message. Leaders' development. 
To be successful, we have to have effective spiritual leaders. To strengthen pastoral leadership, the conference wants to do that. Effective lay leadership to increase that. To develop conference-wide leadership succession plans. In other words, something that continuously you know, goes through and through and through, year after year after year. And um, enhance conference administrative and staff leadership and improve educational leadership. So they're going to take a look at everything we do and measure it by this new set of values and strategies. The third of the three is church growth. Cultivate a healthy ministry environment that grows Adventist Christian disciples. Improve local church health. You know, in a lot of the churches in Northern California and elsewhere around the world as well, they don't know, you couldn't tell what they're doing. They're not sure what they're doing. They're doing something, but it's, you know, they haven't thought about what they're doing, and probably they're not getting anywhere because they haven't thought about it. Northern is actually trying to do something about this. Increase membership, discipleship, growth rates. And so what the conference is saying, we're going to look at everything we do, and we're going to measure it by these standards. We're going to hold ourselves accountable. Expand reach into large population centers. You heard me say something about that earlier. Develop more effective evangelism outreach methods and provide better oversight of churches. The conference admitted they don't know what's going on in the local church. They just don't know. And so they're going to try to become a little bit more clear on that. And then, you can't see it, but this is number four. It's hidden down here. Well, maybe you can see it. It's clearer there than on my screen. Educational excellence. Demonstrate academic excellence in teaching and learning that prepares students for Christian service in this world and for heaven. That's an amazing thing. In other words, they're going to say, we want our kids, by the time they're done with school, to be able to do something effectively for the Lord. We put a fortune into educating kids. By the way, I went up to PUC, and I could affirm it is a fortune. Every year, it's a fortune. It's a lifetime of money in four years. <laughs> Produce more journey to excellent schools, uh, which teaches students how to excel. Make Adventist Christian education more affordable, and they're trying to do that 10 for 10, that program that they introduced at conference camp meeting. Develop an overall marketing strategy for schools. They're going to try to make it possible for every Adventist kid to go to school. Even kids that have gone to public school, you know, to give them enough support so they can, Adventists can go to college and academy. Uh, foster student commitment to Christ and his mission and enhance the student learning experience. I'm going through these rather quickly. I hope I don't irritate you in doing that, but my time, I'm aware of that as well. Uh, community outreach. Enlarge Adventist ministry involvement in local communities. Build relationships with religious, civic, and other local community leaders. I've had a privilege of doing this in Willits. I haven't done that here in Fort Bragg. But since I've been involved in the Ministerial Association, I don't know that I've said anything about that over here, have I? Um, these people that didn't want to get together because they always had fought in the past. Pastors fighting against each other. Can you believe that? Yeah. Anyway, they now love getting together. They come. It's one of the meetings they won't miss, you know. And... We have found uh, joy in having fellowship together. We rotate throughout the various churches, sing inspirations that happen about every six weeks. You know, one of the most popular things that's going on in the churches, the people love it. We're going, we have an annual picnic 
at the park in town, all of the churches, every church in town, having the picnic, getting together and fellowshipping together. We have sunrise services, of course, at Easter time. And the exciting thing, I've got to tell you this, please forgive me if I take too long, but I'm going to try to make this short. Um, for the first time ever, the Ministerial Association in Willits is hosting an award banquet for people who have the heart for Willits, who are doing spectacular heart things for Willits. And the church is saying, we want these people honored and celebrated. And we're inviting all the civic leaders and all of the people in town that are of significance, you know, and all those members of the church to come, and the church members are doing this. And in so doing, these churches that couldn't get together are now together leading the entire, starting to set the stage to lead the entire together, working the community to work together. That's happening. That's the way churches should be. So we're, that's some exciting things. I'm very happy about that. So community outreach... Um, you can see that. A united uh, mission, create a spirit of unity and diversity to accomplish the purposes of God's kingdom. Uh, facilitate collaboration among area comfort pastors. Discover better ways to communicate effectively with pastors, educators, ministry leaders. One of our goals that our education department chair at the conference has, for the first time I've ever heard this, he is wanting to reach out to kids who are in public school. He said, we have pretty much forgotten them. We're just reaching out to our kids that are in our schools. And the others, how did they get disenfranchised? And so he's trying to figure out ways to include them. That's pretty exciting. There's several things here. I'm not going to read through them all because we've got eight to get through and we're almost there. Youth involvement. Foster an atmosphere that helps young people understand and play a significant role in the church's mission. So as we look into 2013, the conference now has made some specific plans, and they're asking the pastors to come on board and the churches to come on board to make these plans make the new year something better than the last year. That's what new year is all about, moving forward. Uh, establish mechanisms for youth to express their viewpoints. Expand the conference youth ministry program to effectively meet the needs of diverse groups of youth and young adults and etc. Financial development. Provide sufficient resources to support all aspects of conference priorities. And that is a critical thing that the conference has realized that finances are, are falling. And they're taking some steps to try to figure out what they can do to correct that. So that's what the conference is doing. It's in this little brochure and you'll probably be hearing more about it <laughs> throughout the entire year. So my question is, as we are at this point from 2012, moving to 2013, we're going to have a business meeting this coming week talking about where we're going and what we're doing. I want this to be a whole church's plan. Um, So we're going to be talking about this all along. But for our mission statement, I am throwing out something for consideration. Transform lives for the good in our community and within our church. We're saying we live to change people. For the good. Vision statement. Be spiritually, socially, financially, evangelistically a skilled, vibrant, productive, loving church. Try to make that as concise as possible, our vision statement. Doing important things for Christ is our motto. That's what I'm suggesting. You know, the church, you guys will have to figure out how you want to phrase this or what you want in it, etc. Core values. 
pretty much the same as what the conference has, grace-oriented, authentic, inclusive, biblical, relevant, collaborative, empowering. Now, strategies. Importing specialists in ministry. Now, you've heard me talk about this. This isn't new. Uh, We're here in Fort Bragg. One of the most important things about our church is where it's located. People come to Fort Bragg. They pay money to stay here. They like coming here. There are Adventists that come here, as we know, because we see them every once in a while at church. They take their vacations here. That's one of our greatest assets. Another asset that the church has is they've got a lot of people that love to do things for the Lord. And they go on mission trips. Sometimes they go across the world on mission trips. We're saying, clearly, Fort Bragg is a mission field. (laughs) Think of coming here. You know, come here. And whatever your expertise, if it's in building, let's find something that we can do. Maybe remodel houses. Wouldn't that be amazing? In the town, if year after year, or maybe every several years, this church has a group of people that come in and actually fix up homes in our town. Do you think the people of this town would become aware of us when that gets in the news? What do you think about that? What about if we had kids that went you know, throughout the town and did like the Pathfinders do in all kinds of places, clean up things? Or maybe they do a vacation Bible school, something like that. Or maybe we have musicians that come, or artists that come. They do come down there a little bit further south of us here, you know, at, at uh, uh, Albion. But what if we had... It's, it's endless. It's only because of our lack of creativity that we can't see how all of this can happen. But we could have classes in our church that teach all kinds of different things. We can have health people that can come and serve the community. And our church would become the center of a lot of activities. And guess what? It wouldn't cost us anything at all except just a small amount, maybe for some supplies. But if we had housing here to house those people, they would come they would bring their ministry things and they would work and we would just put them up. And then every Sabbath following the week that they're in town, they would be here at church and they would be telling us fantastic stories about what they've done in our town. Would that do something good to our church services as well? Yeah. How much would that cost? A tiny little fraction of what we spend in evangelism. You know, and it would be fantastic. I think that has potential and, I, and it's getting a good response. The board has been thinking about it. So importing specialists. Uh, recruit, house and, house, and help specialties in ministry to come to Fort Bragg to conduct ministry events in our community. And on the Sabbath following their visit, they will showcase and report on their ministry during the worship hour. You know what's going to happen from that? People are going to think positively about Fort Bragg, 7th Avenue Church. You know what? And you know what? We're going to find people that we don't know of now they're going to start asking questions. God's Holy Spirit's going to touch them. And they, it'll be an invitation. I talked with Heidi, and we're going to be talking some more. Uh, we've already decided we're going to do a number of things. Do you know anything about an organization in our church that just started about two or three years ago called Adventurers Club? It's, it's, it's a pre-Pathfinder. Pathfinder starts at, I think, nine. But from five until nine, there is nothing going on collectively, except now there is. It's called Adventurers, younger Pathfinders. And they have amazing things that they do. 
And we're thinking about starting. After all, Heidi has this skill of bringing people to church, little kids. And they're in that age group, you know. And this would give a ministry. And she's thinking about that. And, of course, conduct baptismal classes. Another, other things that we can do. I just put some things down here. They're certainly not all. But greater pastoral involvement. In this three, three and a half years that I've been here so far, I haven't been here that much. So now for the last next five years, well, if I last that long, um, what I want to do is figure out how I can have a greater influence in each one of the churches, Willits and in, in particularly Fort Bragg, because Willits already has more than you do. So what I'm thinking about is what we can do, how I can spend a little bit more time here and make it more productive in doing a variety of things. Pastoral events throughout the year for visitation, for classes that I might want to teach and for uh, maybe getting involved with the community. And also special events like our centennial that's coming up in October of this year. And we've been involved with building and remodeling. So, and there could be a whole bunch of other things that we're putting on. And I already told you about this church board meeting, or, and a business meeting actually. And we're, these are the things that we're going to be talking about our finances, our evangelistic plans, our centennial plans. And um, in your bulletin, thanks to Brenda, she put in an insert that I sent to her that I wanted you to take a look at and read sometime when you have time and a magnifying glass close by so that you can read it. Um, I, I knew that Ellen White did this, but what was so interesting is that from the year 19, or 1856 to 1914, often, very frequently, she would write in the periodicals or whatever it was of our church, New Year's Day messages. And I wanted to find out what was the tone. What was she usually talking about when she talked about New Year's to, uh, uh, in those, those articles? Frequently. You don't see her saying too much about Christmas or about any of the other holidays. But she always seemed to have something to say about New Year's. And you know what the theme was? It's time to say goodbye to the past and move forward. Just like what the Bible ceremonies were all about. The New Year is insignificant to God, except that it is a great opportunity to turn over a new leaf and recommit our lives to Him. And it wouldn't be right if we started a new year and didn't give ourselves the opportunity to. Over the years, she shared her thoughts and about how we might do that, and that's in that paper. So you can take a look at that and, and see what that says. You'll get some wonderful ideas, and the way she phrases things is really nice. I think you'll, you'll like what you read there. Uh, she wrote letters to her children, often on their birthdays and on New Year's Day. And what she said to them, she talked to them so well, you moms will recognize. Talk right to their hearts, you know. And then she talked to the church about things that we could do to make the, uh, the new year a very special place. Well, that's the end of what we're doing. But it's not the end of uh, what's taking place in our church. Uh, probably over the next, oh, maybe two or three months, we're going to get together our various different um, uh, ministry plans for the entire year and we're going to be informing you. I hope you can be involved as much as possible in that process. I'm going to be meeting with the elders on Thursday. Elders, it's 4.30 we meet. And then what time is our business meeting? Six, Six o'clock. Hope you can all be here. And uh, should we bring lollipops or something to make it more? No, that would destroy the meeting, wouldn't it? Popcorn? What do we do? 
Soup. What a wonderful idea. Soup is a great idea. Keep you warm. Uh, hot, hot water to step in as we come in, you know, and soup for the tummy. Something like that. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I just want to say to you something exciting uh, in closing. This I'm not using anyway. Three years ago, three years ago in the Willits Church, um, we came to the sad realization, shocking realization, that the young people in the church were disappearing. We have an eighth grade school. How can we run an eighth grade school if there's no young people? We looked and we saw there's maybe only one or two children. And yet their parents were gone too. If the kids were gone, the parents are gone too, right? And we didn't know where we were going to find any more children. And you know what? We didn't know how to solve that problem. The church had basically relied year after year after year upon new employees coming to Howard Memorial Hospital to keep the church in young people. And that wasn't happening anymore. So what do we do? What can we do? We didn't know what to do. We brought in some young families. And I talked to them. We talked to them and we said, you know, tell us what this church can do to be more open and attractive to young parents to come. And, and we talked about what we did, and they said, none of that means anything to us. All that we were doing meant nothing to them. That was quite a shock. And they gave some suggestions about things that we should do. We started putting those into practice. Started doing those things. And, you know, I don't know when it happened, but last year... And the year before, for the first time in a long, long time, the trend is turning. You know what happened last, the last two years? We've had 10 new uh, baptisms or profession by faith people coming to our church each one of those years. Now, we have an attendance, an average attendance of around 60. Are you, are you doing the math in your head as I'm doing in my head? That means 20 out of 60 are brand new in the congregation. But that's not all the story. Because besides those 20, there's another 10 to 15 that are regularly attending right now. I don't know how that happened. I knew there were some lay people in the church that decided they wanted to go out and contact people and knock on doors. And they would take gifts and, you know, baskets and things like that. And then gives by, and we sent out invitations for Bible studies. We had Jack come and do a, a series for us. But somehow in all of that time, we have seen the most remarkable thing I told our conference president the other day. I expect to have another 10 this year, 2013 or more. Do you realize what that would be? We're getting close to half of our congregation among the new people. And it just happened. It happened at the time when a number of our members moved away and went to join the little church there on Redwood Valley as you're going down Highway 101. And so we're starting to... The Lord is filling up the ranks. We only had, as I talked about, maybe one or two kids or maybe three at most going to our school. Some of those have since moved away. This, this year... We had 15 people at one time enrolled in that school. I'm going to tell you something exciting about that. Because we've got one of these non-Adventist pastors in one of the other churches sending his grandchildren to our school. Did you hear that? 
We are the only, only Christian school in town now. That's it's, it's it. We've got a corner on the market. And you know what? The pastors of the various churches are giving devotionals each week in our school. And I went to a ministerial prayer uh, morning service at one of the other churches not that long ago, and the pastor of the largest church in town was sitting right next to me. And on my knees while we were praying, I listened to him name our school and ask the Lord to bless that school. Isn't that amazing? What's that? When did the, this church lo- lose? We still own it. The building we own. Yeah, what's happened is that we are renting it to the charter school, is what we're doing now. But it's just a startling thing of how God can just simply make miracles happen. And, and that's exactly what he's doing, to think that this would have been a horrible catastrophe, and we didn't do much, little, but we prayed, we were aware of our need, and God just starts bringing blessings. I think that's our secret here, too. So I need to be here more to get engaged with that. We're going to be talked about how we're going to do that. I still have a wife that I need to see occasionally, and, uh, and that. So I'll have to, it's, my schedule is critical. I've got to get the schedule worked out really carefully. But pray for this, because it's really very important. We don't have a lot of years. We only have a little amount of years left to do the work that God has asked us to do. We've got to find a way to reach the families. We've got to find a way to reach the young people in this town. You know, those are things that are just beyond my thinking, but not beyond God's. So he can make it happen. He can do it. He makes, out of weakness, strength. That's pretty exciting.